0: Welcome back to the Noel Castler Podcast, episode 73, coming to you Monday morning in Los Angeles, Hollywood to be more specific. I've been out here for a few days. I had a really fun event last night that I was a part of that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But I just want to welcome you to the podcast. I know you're hearing this a little later. I had to record on West Coast time, so it'll be out at around 1 p.m. on Monday when you're getting this and I came out here to do a benefit for Adam Schiff, the wonderful chair of the Intelligence Committee, the House Select Committee member who's, who's helping bringing us these amazing hearings. He had a benefit that he does annually at the Improv in Los Angeles with a bunch of comedians, so I was invited to be a part of it, and I did not hesitate, and I got on a plane. I came out here and quarantined for a couple days, not that I'm positive or anything just played it safe in the hotel room until it was time for the gig went and did the gig Dana Carvey was the first comedian up he followed Adam Schiff who did a great set Jeff Ross hosted Margaret Cho performed Jenna Friedman performed Noel Kassler performed Lisa Ann Walter performed Christina Alonzo performed and I think that's about it but that's a pretty good lineup and it was a wonderful night one of the best sets of my life just because it felt so good to be there and see some West Coast people and there was some podcast fans in the audience and they made my night because Jeff introduced me and said he's the host of the Noel Castler podcast and a couple people clapped and uh, it was the perfect send-up to walk on stage and feel that love and to be in a crowd of you know like-minded compassionate empathetic souls that have the right idea about politics and the right kind of spirit to change things cuz that's what we need to do and that's what my set is about and my comedy and my podcast as you well know and it always feels good to sort of get together cuz i think that recharges people you know that soul to soul energy looking somebody in the eye who feels the same way you do about the direction of this country and what matters and what doesn't it's a good feeling you know it's a it's a healing thing we need more of that and we need to counter what's going on on the right because they had two rallies this weekend they had one in Arizona you know called save America pack or something that Trump spoke at and Kerry Lake and all these other whack jobs on Friday and then on Saturday they had this horrible tea pack or whatever it's called in Florida, you know, Turning Point USA, it's called, I believe. Trump spoke, Matt Getz spoke, said that only, you know, ugly women are the ones that want abortions. Like, insane stuff. Like, he, you know, the most misogynistic, hate-filled bile. DeSantis had literal Nazis outside of his rally where he was speaking to young people. So they're reaching out and trying to indoctrin- indoctrinate young people, children, with hate with misogyny, with intolerance. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene said it's a Christian nationalist nation. They're building a Nazi party right before our eyes, right? It's Nazism 2.0. And the fact that somebody could stand on the street in Florida with a huge Nazi sign and a big, you know, not sign, flag, and an, and an SS flag, and it's perfectly legal, and the governor of the state doesn't announce denounce it, you know, and all the wealthy, prominent people in that state don't really object to it or fight back about it is very scary and very disheartening because he's branding the fascism that he's, you know, implementing in Florida across the country. He's running commercials in Texas. You know, there, there's there's a slogan like "Make America Florida," right? He calls it the Freedom State or the, you know, whatever the hell that tagline is. And that's scary because it's going to have appeal. You know, he's going to take the sort of charisma that Trump had. And I know that's hard for people to swallow. And I don't mean it in the traditional sense, but he has appeal to his people. You know, these rallies, they had like, you know, pyro pots you know they're called like big fire displays and smoke machines and big video screens and they announce them like it's wrestlemania and that produces adrenaline in people especially in a crowd because they're all in the same room and they feed off each other's energy just like you do in a comedy show in a in a positive way right when people are all laughing together it feels good it's communal you get caught up in it that same sort of dynamic that works for humans and crowds can work in the bad way, you know, can work in a negative way. And the more evil and charismatic leaders throughout history knew that. Mussolini knew that. Hitler knew that, you know, and and there's certain elements that need to get combined in that. You have to deprive them from other things to make them more susceptible to it. And that's what the Republicans are doing their messaging is on brand 24 hours a day liberals are bad democrats are socialists they're destroying your country and they're going for it all the time and they have hundreds of henchmen you know they have ronnie jackson and all these idiots and matt gates and mtg so they're giving that branding to these people who aren't getting really something else you know it's easy to say that the uh you know some of these folks are kind of a lost cause but the young people aren't you know it, it's very scary that ron desantis and trump are speaking to crowds specifically aimed at young people that's not by accident okay that's on purpose that's the indoctrination you know that the right accuses the left of you know they're, they're. desantis as i said last week is changing the curriculum in schools because he knows he knows if he breeds a couple generations of, of people, you know, ensconced and immersed in this kind of ignorance, it's going to be smooth sailing because they won't have the equipment to challenge him, right? They won't have the mental faculties to understand they've been conned. That's why cults are so hard to get out of, right? Because they deprive people of of things that, you know, from sleep Protein, you name it. There's all kinds of like little tricks that cult leaders use. You know, they cut you off from the outside world and they only feed you their message and their dogma. And that's being branded on a national level right now. That is full force what the right is doing. They're having rallies every weekend. You know, that's why I started the show with this. They did two of them. As I said, that's insane. What did the Democrats do? You know, what are we doing on a big level? Nothing. In in, in that respect, you know, and and it it occurred to me last night when we did this comedy show, how many people showed up, you know, it was a full house. They love Adam Schiff, Congressman Schiff. Who wouldn't? He's a a wonderful leader. You know, he's the kind of leader we need. He's empathetic. He's smart. He's fierce. You know, he's not afraid to express his opinion. He's not afraid to sort of call out the DOJ, say, what's going on here? You know, you guys shouldn't really be behind us, you know, (laughs) like... He, he calls it like he sees it because he understands the gravity of the situation. And he's also a very kind, very present, very empathetic dude, you know, who got up and gave a hug to every comedian when they came off stage, which felt wonderful and uh, was real class act. And he's actually very, very funny. And he had a very set, great set. And Dana Carvey kept turning around to me during shift set and was like, oh my God, he's doing act out. Oh my God, he's got props. Like he was, he put some work into this. And it was entertaining. So I'm digressing there, but when I was in that room and feeling that feeling, I was thinking about, you know, the thousands of people at these Trump rallies and at these right wing rallies, you know, and what effect it's having on them and how are we gonna counter that? They're having Victor Orban speak at CPAC next week, you know. Trump's going to DC to speak at one of these things this week. Is his first time back in Washington since January sixth. 20 you know 2021 so they're on the march and i think we need to develop a more effective way to counter it i think we need the democratic equivalent of these kind of rallies you know we need an aoc we need a beto on that stage we need adam schiff you know we need to hear from the people that are leading us and we need to do it in a way that will attract young people and people into the fold because anecdotally, when I travel around, like people don't know, they don't know what's going on. You know, I talk to waitresses and waiters and, you know, servers and people in hotels and stuff. And a lot of them, you know, I'll mention something politically and they don't know who it was, who it is. I I said, I'm here to do something for Adam Schiff. I had two people who live in L.A. not know who Adam Schiff is. You know, he's the congressman from Burbank who's a national figure in politics and has been for five years, you know, since the Trump era. And he became sort of public enemy number one. So that means there's not something that's attracting them to pay attention to this, you know. And it's easy to write that off and say, well, they should be reading papers or they don't have time to do that because they have jobs in a gig economy. I get that, man, because everyone's hopping in their Uber and working a shift after they did a shift in a restaurant or whatever it is. It's hard to survive, but we have to figure out some way to sort of bring us together and reaffirm the challenges ahead and, and inspire people you know like a Woodstock or something you know a defining sort of series of events that can really plainly point out where we're at right now where we need to go and, and what we face and that's why I talk about that and, you know in my set those of you guys who have seen my show I talk about how inspired I was from Barack Obama's two inaugurations and most specifically this concert we did for HBO on the mall the Sunday before. And we had all these great performers there, you know, Stevie Wonder and Garth Brooks and Bruce Springsteen and Beyonce and, you know, it just went on you two. It went on and on. But the point, James Taylor, the point wasn't the performers. The point was the audience. Because something happens when people come together that have a lot of love in their hearts, that have a lot of open positivity, that have a desire for equality. You know, it takes on a life of its own. It's like a dead show or something. There's a symbiotic relationship at the best of performance that goes from the audience to the band or performer back to the audience. And very quickly, it becomes something bigger than yourself. And you can feel it. It's a palpable energy. And that energy will inspire you. It's portable. You know, it's a movable feast. You can put it inside, carry it in your heart and spread it to others from there. You know, you bring it back home and you share it with your family because it's a light, it's a flame, it's inspiration. You know, it may seem ethereal, but it's more important than you think. And they're doing it in a negative way. They're spreading hate because they see the value in that and they see the value in the production element, the WWD stuff, WWE stuff, the making it fun you know, they're making it like a rock concert. They had Ted Cruz's name on a big video screen. Please welcome Ted Cruz. And people are clapping. That's insane. Who's clapping for Ted Cruz? His wife hates him. <laughs> you know, his children hate him. He's, he's universally reviled. And they're able to present him on a stage in a way that people clap as a rock star. You know, they have Lauren Boebert doing a hateful, basically, stand-up set. You know. They're, they're, there's nothing, they have no shame and there's nothing beyond like, there's nothing, there's nothing like off limits for them. They'll say anything on stage. That's why I referred to the Matt Gates comment. You know, it, something like that would have never, ever been said in politics just 15 years ago. If a congressman said something like this in this political climate, especially after Roe v. Wade was rescinded, he would have been done. And you're talking about a congressman who's been under investigation for a year and a half for having sex with teenage girls that he was paying with drugs and Venmo cash. That's crazy. And there's also a reason why he hasn't been indicted yet. And everyone's like the same DOJ. Oh, take your time. They're building a case. How much time do you need? Because you're letting him walk free and he's pissing people off and being a chaos agent for the right and getting these clips in there. And you now have a few more months. Come November, they retake the house. It's game over. You're not going to be able to hold Matt Gates accountable, you know, because they'll shut down the investigative, you know, January 6th committee, right? And he'll, ha- he'll have powerful congressmen that like the work he's doing, which is trolling and stuff. And I guarantee you DeSantis is already sticking his fingers in whatever investigation is going on down there. And I know you have the DOJ stands that don't want to hear that, but come on, dude. If he wasn't a wealthy white kid whose dad wasn't at one time, you know, president of the Florida Senate, you know, or speaker of the Senate, whatever the nomenclature is, his dad was a very powerful state senator. He's got his, you know, he's got his, you know, hooks in, in Florida politics. So there's a reason he hasn't been indicted and hopefully he will, but it's, it, it, It goes to the earlier point I'm always trying to make about time is not on our side. These are not normal times. You don't just let these guys walk free and build a solid case because sooner or later they'll slip the noose. That's what happened with Alvin Bragg in New York. You know, he shut down the case that two awesome prosecutors had spent a couple years, a year and a half working on. Dudes from Paul Weiss that were working pro bono, you know, legal eagle bad dudes who were ready to rock and roll on trump and had a case had alan weisselberg who would never have flipped by the way but uh you know they had enough evidence and these guys felt like they had enough evidence and alvin bragg came in and said no i don't think there's enough evidence well i think he thought it wouldn't be politically expedient you know if it didn't work his career was over and that's That's what happens. You give people time, they'll find a way to find out what motivates somebody in power and then put the right amount of pressure on them to do what you want them to do. And Trump is a master of that. He's a master at manipulating the system. You know, The DOJ first opened a case into Trump in 1973 when he and his father discriminated against African-American folks in housing, right? And they wouldn't rent to black families. Right? So the DOJ brought him up on like discrimination charges, right? And what did Trump do? He turned around and sued, sued the DOJ. He got aggressive with it, right? Because that's what he does. That's what he learned from Roy Cohn. You know, people learn that kind of stuff and they say, hey, you know what? It's a pain in the ass to go after this guy. He's going to make all kinds of noise. He's going to push back. It's going to be ugly. Let's just let him slide. And that set the precedent for Trump. That's why he got away with all that stuff in New York for so long. And then you had other corrupt politicians that enabled it. You know, Rudy Giuliani. You know, half the building commissioners and stuff that he would have up to his little penthouse parties at the plaza when he owned Trump Model Management and made all these European teenage girls come and basically service Trump's clients. And then Trump would get compromise on them and use it against them. So he would get things done building permits you know it's the way it works and sort of as dumb as he is he's a master of the corrupt world you know he was brought up in that I mean think about that case I just said the DOJ suing him for discrimination in housing The the apartment buildings that Trump's father built he did it with FHA no interest loans right those were part of the new deal they were designed to help build housing for returning troops coming from World War II so they'd have a place to live and you know start a family. So they gave these loans out to builders. Trump's father took advantage of that, built all these buildings, and then used it to launder money for the five families, for Casanova, you know, Casanostra, right? Most specifically, the Genovese crime family. You know, that's what Trump's dad was. He was a middleman money launderer for the Genovese crime family. That's why when Trump started to build his towers, in New York wanted to, his father said, that's not our territory, that's Gambino's thing. And Trump was the young upstart who wanted to go in business with the Gambino's and he did. Paul Castellano, fat Tony Salerno, you know, later John Gotti when John Gotti whacked Castellano, right? So Trump is in that world and I point that out because the irony of the DOJ having to sue a guy for discrimination that got money from our government to do the right thing didn't do the right thing and then the son of that man becoming president of the united states being the worst president not just in the history of the united states you could make a good case that he was the worst leader in the history of the world outside of you know hitler who was his mentor essentially intellectually right because he had a copy of mein kampf You know, in Hitler's speeches at his bedside table, as Ivana pointed out, who happened to die, you know, two weeks ago, the day before he had to be deposed along with his children in New York in a state attorney general case involving his businesses. His wife mysteriously falls down the stairs, dies of a torso injury. Instead of the two weeks it normally takes for a medical examiner, in two or three days, she gets cleared, no toxicology report, and then he buries her on his private golf course so she could never be exhumed, you know, if there's ever a case brought against it or if somebody wants to figure out more about it. You can't. And a week later, days after the funeral, right? The funeral was just this week. Days after, you have her son, Don Jr., coked out of his mind, coked to the gills, you know, universally commented on on Twitter, like, how much cocaine is this guy on, Right? You know, there was, there was, I I worked in the music business, you know, I've been around cocaine. Like that dude was gacked out of his mind. He was on some Heisenberg blue meth or something, right? Right there on the stage. A week after his mom died, you know, a couple days after his funeral, you know, my grandmother passed away in the spring And I still am trying to process the grief. And she was in her 90s and died of natural causes. So my point is these guys are all sort of involved in the grift and the cover-up of what they're trying to do. And you can't like you can't sleep on that. You know, he's he's going back to DC this week to have a rally. He's getting closer and closer to sort of feeling emboldened, right? He, He he's gonna go. On the aggression, on the aggression, again against like the January 6th committee, right? I mean, he's he's frustrated. He knows they have him dead to rights, but he knows he has things on his side. He's got the Secret Service on his side, who now lawyered up. Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel lawyered up. They don't want to talk to the January 6th committee. They don't want to tell the truth, which is shameful. I went to high school with Bobby Engel. You know, he's a Marine. After high school, and you know, cop type. As I said last week, he was the dude Trump was going to pick because he's good at finding the guys that are going to be loyal to him, and it's usually these, you know, Italian, Irish, New York area kind of cop-like guys. Trump has a sixth sense for finding those guys, getting them to do their bidding, you know. And my guess is Tony Ornato was full on, drank all the Kool-Aid. That's by why he became a White House. You know, director for Trump. He, he actually left the Secret Service for a time and was just like a staffer for Trump in the White House, you know, doing his special bidding, right? The Bobby Engel guy was his body man. That was the dude with him walking in Lafayette Park when they're tear gassing protesters and stuff. So he did a lot of shameful stuff for the president. And he's probably pretty morally convicted cause, uh, about it because I don't think he started out as a bad guy, but he got in so deep. But Now he's screwed. Now he's got a lawyer up, you know, and there's a reason that dude was out of there when Trump left. He went down to Tampa and got into the counterfeit side of the secret service stuff, you know, so all those guys got placed and Trump hoped nobody would ever hear from him again. Right. And then, you know, Cass Casey Hutchinson spilled the beans, which they weren't counting on. Right. So it's a problem for Trump. But what does he do? They reach out. Hey, we heard you're gonna to testify tomorrow. Just want to, want you to know Trump's gonna be listening. So do the right thing. Capiche. That's mob tactics, right? And these people fear Trump more than they fear the Justice Department, more than they fear the January 6th Committee, which is a wonderful tool for investigating things, but they don't have any real legal authority to do much. You know, they can refer to the Justice Department and you know, in Bannon's case, thankfully he was convicted. But what did even Bannon do? He was back on his podcast an hour later, using it for an opportunity to spread his message. You know, the kind of like judo that the right has developed to flip everything into their branding and their promotion is what we need to fear. You know, and I don't mean fear in a powerless way, but become aware of and counterbalance with pro- positivity. You know, because the corruption is so endemic at this point. You know, these guys are so morally bereft of any kind of, you know, ethics. You know, there's nothing beneath a Kevin McCarthy. A man has never been more degraded than that guy is. Just a coward in every sense of the word. You know, a Mark Meadows. Trump melts the souls of these men who who didn't have much metal to begin with. You know, these weren't like high-achieving, intelligent people. These were mediocre white men who found their place in a position of power because some other rich businessman gave them some money and knew they'd be a corrupt enough politician to do them some favors right so they got into office that's the traditional route of American politics right that's the traditional that's why it's always an old white guy right because that white guy plays golf with a rich guy in his town in North Carolina and that guy's like I'm going to support you but you're going to let me build this factory you know or whatever it is you know, that's how politics has always worked, the boss tweed model, right? And, and Trump knows all that stuff. The GOP knows all that stuff. And the scariest thing is having somebody who isn't as out of control as Trump in a position of power, right? Now Trump's in this horse race with DeSantis. DeSantis has him beat. He knows it. Trump knows it, right? Trump's not going to go away. He's going to grip as much as he can, you know, up until the election and then he's going to figure out what kind of deal he needs to cut with DeSantis. You know, it could be, I support you for president, you pardon me, right? You pardon my kids. You know, there'll be some sort of quid pro quo that if they grab power, Trump will be free and continue to prosper. And all these people on the sidelines that know about it will let it happen. And the GOP will cheer it on. And the more Americans that they can brainwash in the meantime through these WWE events, you know, the more of them they get, the more easier, you know, the easier it will be for them to hold on to power. So they're setting the stage to make a country that you don't recognize anymore, you know, and we've never in my lifetime been in more dire straits or or had more issues. And one of the great sins of this time and what they're doing is what they're taking away, you know, in terms of attention and focus onto the things we really need to focus on, right? Trump was doing his climate change is a hoax thing at the rally to young people. He was telling young people that climate change is BS. What kind of message is that to send while Europe's on fire this week, you know, while America has, you know, wildfires in Yosemite? Right? And, and droughts, and it's 110 degrees in Texas, and their corrupt governor can't even keep the power on because he's beholden by energy companies that don't want to be regulated, so they're not part of the national grid, right? And here you got this idiot standing there in a diaper who lives on a private golf course, you know, that he owns several of, telling them that climate change is a hoax. And you'll have a generation of ignorant people believing that, standing in the way. Of progress and he's stealing the time we need to be focusing on that we're in like DEFCON 4 and dealing with this stuff it's here now it's horrific you know it's it's so hot on the East Coast you're listening to this now I'm on the West Coast it's hot too you know but the East Coast it's not supposed to always be 95 degrees you know we, we used to have a summer that was enjoyable now it's a terrifying situation it's not supposed to be 105 degrees in London as it was last week right but instead of dealing with that stuff we're dealing with the sideshow you know freakish nature of what the GOP is trying to accomplish and they're they're doing it and we're not countering it in the way we need to you know and this is not a indictment of anybody it's just saying like we haven't like beaten them yet and we need to you know we need to have more people realizing like the biggest threat you face is climate change besides the political authoritarianism. And all these social issues, they're gonna flip just like judo, as I always say, because they're, they're very adept at using the sort of energy and momentum against the Democrats. It's like they accuse us of what they're really doing, like Biden's a pedophile. No, he's not, but Trump actually was. You know, Trump actually was indicted in a court document for raping a 13-year-old, two of them, in Jeffrey Epstein's house. And that was common practice for Trump. Anybody who knows him, he was into young girls that look like his daughter. You know, the guy's a sick man. If he wasn't wealthy, he would have been in prison a long time ago, but he's wealthy. But they use it against Biden, who's just like this nice grandfather who nobody would ever think that, but the propaganda works, you know, and that's scary because the social issues we're facing in this country are unlike anything I've seen. You know, we're, we're all used to, you know, what's happened in New York with unhoused people in L.A. It's shocking that if, they've always had a problem here with the, you know, with providing affordable housing to the amount of people that need it, you know, and the amount of addiction and social services and mental illness and, and kind of, you know, they've been nationally known for the skid row they have here. And I've been aware of that for a long time, but now it's everywhere. You know, this is my first trip to L.A. since probably 2015. And it's shocking. You know, the drive from the airport to Hollywood, it was just like human beings lying on the side of freeways. You didn't even know if they were alive or dead. You know, these encampments everywhere. Just, you know, human suffering everywhere. A guy lying on the street, writhing, you know, in pain, like mentally ill, disturbed, you know, right outside a restaurant. And you're supposed to sort of just step over it and go about your life. That's dehumanizing. We can't do that. You know, and there's a lot of good people out there trying to make a difference and doing outreach and stuff. But the problem has gotten so bad, it can't be solved by nonprofits, you know, and church groups and whatever. This needs a bureaucracy. This needs the full weight of the American government addressing this. This needs funding, right? Imagine if we didn't fight a war in Afghanistan that basically only benefited the oil companies because we used so much energy and fuel in prosecuting a war that accomplished nothing. Imagine if we didn't do that for 20 years and we tackled homelessness in America, you know, and mental illness and social services. But we didn't, you know, and part of the reason we didn't is because the Republicans didn't want us to. And Democrats know those bills will never get passed, especially when you have Joe Manchin's and Kristen Sinema's and these kind of spoilers, you know, that have already infiltrated the Democratic Party. And the reason the GOP doesn't want to do that, besides the obvious fact that they're greedy and, like, don't have any empathy, you know, is they know they can use those problems against the Democrats in election years, and that's what they do. You know, you always hear them talking about San Francisco and Seattle, you know, and how the streets are lawless and, you know, filled with like immigrants and and unhoused people and danger, you know? So they want to paint the picture as ugly as possible. And it's an ugly picture, you know? It's not right that that many people have to live that way. It wouldn't, it would never happen in a Scandinavian country. It just would not. You wouldn't see that in Europe. You know what I mean? Because people would be like, that ain't right. You know, and and the wealthy people would be like, I can't sleep at night knowing that people are sleeping on the streets. Get them off the streets. I don't want to look at that when I go out to dinner. And that doesn't mean get them out of the streets in a bad way. It means let's do something about it. I'm paying taxes. Use them. I want my taxes to go for given home, homes, food, you know, medical services, education. Whatever people need in a social service sense, that's what we should be spending our money on. That's what matters. That is the most important resource we have in this country is each other. Whether you want to hear that or not, we're all in this together. Human beings, animals, the environment, plants, trees, birds, everything that's living with eyes, you know, is your friend. Whether it seems that way or not, that's what you're here to love and protect not the interests of some businessman and not the the you know the political football of blaming these systematic problems on the democrats because they happen to occur most in the big cities that and then they can say it's a democrat-run state you know it's it's the democrats fault which is completely bs right but it's effective because it scares the People in the Midwest, the mostly white people that fall for this stuff, they see these images and they're horrible, you know, and then they take a vacation to Hollywood because they want to go, you know, to Universal Studios or something. And then they see it with their own eyes and they already have that built in sort of prejudice and fear of it. And then that mantra of, oh, this is the Democrats' fault. This is what's going to happen in Indiana, you know, if we don't vote for Trump or DeSantis or something. Right. So in the big picture sense, in the macro sense, all of these disasters feed the messaging of the GOP, you know, and, and, and they, they hamper our ability to counter them. And that's why I was saying we need to we need to start having our own kind of rallies where we address these issues, where we have people come out and speak about solutions to homelessness You know, and how we can build stronger, safer communities, how we can clean up our environment, how we can have urban renewal projects, you know, and gardens, you know, and things to help people heal and connect with nature, you know, and get the help they need. Because living on the streets, you know, and turning to drugs and alcohol, you know, it's a medical issue. You're letting people suffer from a medical condition on the sidewalk. That's not the place for it. You know, we have tons of empty buildings, you know, every city in America, every other street is this for lease, every other building, every other office space for lease, right? Because our economy changed, people work from home, you know, let's get some leadership that sees that and find some solutions, you know, get an empty factory, an empty school, let's convert it, let's, let's put the money into it, give people jobs that help care for their fellow humans, you know? Let's use our money on that and let's have, you know, let's have these rallies where we can entertain people. It doesn't have to be cheesy WWE stuff, but there can be music and comedy and things that lift the spirit and make you feel empathy because there's a drought of it. You know, as I say almost every week on this podcast, it wasn't by accident that Reagan came in and cut all the humanities, you know, arts education out of schools. And that guy was an actor. Right, that was guy. It was a guy who made his living as an actor before his racism got the better of him, and he's like, "I'd rather be a politician because it's a better way to use the the bile inside of me and manipulate people." And people bought it. There's still people out there who think Reagan was some kind of god. He was a doddering racist old fool who was easily manipulated by the corrupt men around him. (laughs) You know, but. You paint a simple portrait, and Americans love that. They love the iconography that is basically bullshit that has been sent to us most of our lives, you know? And, and, and that has reached a fever pitch, as I also say, you know? Because all these people on the right, they think they're the good guys. They're like, I got a flag. You don't have a flag on your car. You don't love this country, you know? You want the Mexicans to come here and take it over, No, I don't, but yes, I do want immigration. Yes, I do want Mexican-Americans and Mexicans coming here and anybody who wants to come here and work hard and raise their family and contribute to this place. That's who I want. They're not my enemy. You're my enemy. Ignorance is my enemy, you know? The manipulated mind that you're carrying around thinking somebody else is your problem besides besides the guy who's feeding you the bullshit, that's my enemy. Darkness is my enemy, you know? love is my ally and they know that that's why they attack lgbtq families you know trump has a line in his speeches every week now where he goes after transgender folks and he says the teachers have to stop teaching transgender like he thinks it's algebra or something i don't even think he knows what he's talking about but he knows it's hateful and the people cheer they clap just like they clapped for Matt Gates when he made that awful remark about abortion. Imagine the climate of clapping that somebody said something so stupid and misogynistic. And that person is basically a fucking child rapist. You know? Maybe that's harsh because they were teenage girls, but you know what I'm saying. Just a scumbag's scumbag. Who, by the way, came to prominence because he would troll people. He would stand in line at grocery stores in in Florida and tweet out like, oh, this lady in front of me is like paying with food stamps of an African-American woman and like posted it. And it got very popular with the racists in Florida. And that's how he started his political ascent was just pure hatred, privileged white guy. I'm going to be a smarmy little frat boy prick. You know, he went to William and Mary, grew up rich. He's got a law degree. He's had everything handed to him his whole life. He's only taken and abused, just like Trump, right? So all these guys, these Desantis's, all these scumbags, they see the formula that works, and they're refining it, right? They're increasing the purity of the message. That's why the Nazi flags are coming out, right? That's 2.0. MAGA didn't have that. Right? They had the Proud Boys. They had these sort of interlopers that came under the tent of Trump. But now it's straight-up Nazis flying flags outside the rally. And DeSantis won't denounce it because he knows he needs them. He knows he needs those right-wing elements to help him achieve power. So he's going to court them as much as he can. And we can't sit on the sidelines and sleep on that. You know, We need to go full bore against that kind of hatred and ignorance. And we need to do it now, not tomorrow, not in November, you know, not next year. We need to come up with a plan now to counter this and save our country from the people that are spilling this stuff. And we'll do that by connecting with our spirit, you know, by reminding us who we really are and what we create in this country. Being out here in L.A., I thought of all the benefits I've done out here. You know, I'd fly out and do stuff for Barbara Boxer in the past with with Jackson, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. We did the Muse concert at Shoreline probably 10, 12 years ago. It was the no nukes kind of thing, Redux. You know, Neil Young, I would do the Bridge School benefit and all these bands would come out and play a concert for his school for kids with special needs. Stephen Stills did an autism benefit every year called Light Up the Blues that I would come out and do. And, you know, Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers would play it, Steve Earle, Brandy Carlisle. one of my favorite Brandy Carlisle performances. And I got to hang with Brandy. was at that Light Up the Blues thing that we would do at the Pantages Theater, downtown LA. And uh, it was wonderful. You know, it's wonderful to like, to, to be reminded of, of our, our higher nature and our humanity through, through a, a, an artistic event that, that has no other purpose other than to raise money and awareness. You know, Harry Chapin once told Bruce Springsteen, you know, I do one show for me and one for the other guy, right? Meaning a certain percentage of the concerts I do, there's nothing in it for me. It's all in it for them. And when you're doing stuff like that, it's a higher calling. It just lends a purity to the situation. And it's one of the reasons I worked for Jackson Brown, because he would do so many benefits. That always drew me in. The first concert I ever went to in my life was Jackson Brown, the Eagles, and Linda Ronstadt. And it was a benefit for uh, the governor, you know, uh, in California, whose name is escaping me, who used to date Linda Ronstadt, Um, uh, Jerry Brown. And it was a Jerry Brown like benefit. You know, this is the 70s. I was a child. But I remember it, you know. And Brandy Carlisle, as I just said, was on that Steven Stills things. I just saw a clip of her. She played Newport Fat Folk Festival which it used to be a regular gig of mine. I did it with Graham Nash and I did it with Jackson. And I did it with my buddy Joel Raphael, who's a folk singer. A really cool event. It's in this old fort in Newport you know it's just a beautiful area in July. It's such a nice place time of year to be there. And Brandy brought out Joni Mitchell, you know. And Winona Judd, I, I believe, was I saw in the clip singing background vocals, and sending her some love. Her, her losses staggering, but and she was crying through the thing, as was Brandy. And Joni, you know, saying, "I've looked at love from both sides now," you know, in a baritone voice, you know, in a lower register, but that same spirit and soul shining through. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry just talking about it. And I saw a 20-second clip. I can't imagine what. What it would be like being there, you know? Everybody would cry in that audience, and there's no better feeling when the spirit hits you, man. Don't be ashamed of that. Let it flow through you. It's a gift, you know? Alicia Keys, for some reason, always makes me cry. When I would do events with Alicia Keys, she comes out and sings, and the people cheer for her, and there's something in her voice. I don't know what it is. It always makes me, always makes me choke up, you know? And, uh, and you carry that with you. that's inspiration. that's touching the flame, as my friend Graham Nash used to say. You know, he met the Everly Brothers, he and Alan Clark right before they formed the Hollies. you know, they took a bus to Manchester or they lived in Manchester. they took a bus to another town or into downtown Manchester. They had to travel kind of a little bit. They were fifteen years old, and they they waited outside the concert and they met you know. Don and Phil Everly. And they couldn't believe they were meeting their heroes. And they took that home with them and formed the Hollies. Said, we can do it too. And whenever I traveled with Graham and I traveled all over the world with that guy, people would come up to him on the street. And they'd they'd love to meet them. And he was always so kind and took so much time. And I remarked once, like, it's so nice that you do that that way, you know? And uh, he was like, look, they're touching the flame. That's what everybody's doing. You know, they just want a little piece of it so they can take it back in their life and it it can inspire what they want to do, you know. And that happened to me, you know. I just remember this mandolin is from Manchester, and I got it. (laughs) And Graham played it right when I got. My travel instrument, but it just reminded me it's sitting here. It must be why I digressed into that story. But back to Joni. Who obviously dated Graham Nash. They lived together in Laurel Canyon, which is just up the hill from where I am now. And uh, you know, famously, our house is about Joni, and uh, certainly Joni has some songs about Graham, as I'm sure you guys know. And it's a wonderful thing, and they're friends. And Joni, you know, had a stroke a few years ago. And I was working for CSN when that happened. And they thought, you know, it was done. They basically went to say goodbye. They visited her in the hotel or in the hospital. I was with Graham, you know, when he told told Crosby, you know, about seeing her and she wasn't looking good. Not in a negative way, just like they were very concerned about her. It was a very serious thing. And now she's back. She was singing you know, at Newport, honored as the sort of queen she is and what she represents for so many people. And it's just a beautiful thing, seeing one generation honor another that inspired him. And Brandy Carlyle is, you know, is a legend. Stills turned me on to her before she became the big, you know, sort of national Grammy winning act she is, and she was always that good. It's not like she turned into how great she was she was great outside of the box and anybody or right out the box and anybody who's seen her knows that i mean live she's as epic as pearl jam and that's no joke i mean that girl rocks i bought my baby collings because of her and told her that backstage at a concert i said i have small hands and i bought the baby collings because it like works really well for me and i remember her taking a moment when i said that like she was surprised that i would like admit I had small hands, or would say something sort of vulnerable and sensitive in that way, you know, and by the way, God didn't make me all small, you know, it's just the hands, but (laughs) so cheesy, but you know, my point was, she wasn't expecting me, you know, guys used to be kind of masculine about guitars, and stuff, and whatever, like, you know, she's a wonderful musician, wonderful spirit, and uh, you know, she brought Joni out, and what a treat, and I hope that clip goes viral, and I hope you see it. But to the larger point, we need that. We need a Newport, Newport Folk Festival for the Democrats. You know, we, we need to come together. Because when you come together, you also realize, you know, hey, I can do more than this. I know what I can do in my hometown. And then you meet somebody else who's like, you know, I'd like to help with that. And I know this other guy who we can probably get to get involved. And you network and it builds and it becomes a movement. And that's what we need now to counter this stuff. We need a movement to combat climate change. We need everybody seeing they have a role in this. No matter how small you think the action is, it's going to make a difference. And it's really only that way. That we're going to be able to do something about it because only in that way will we be able to put enough pressure and show that the show the leaders that it's viable to go in this direction that we want to go in the direction of conservation of saving this planet of providing equality and safety for all people no matter your race color creed sexuality you know if you've been here two weeks you deserve rights you deserve safety come on in you know Get your kids signed up in a safe school where they can go without being attacked, you know, by some madman with a gun that the NRA is basically promoting, you know, because they're evil, you know, they're just evil and bereft, and, and they know that their product appeals to the same fascist mindset that the GOP appeals to, right? So we need a ground, you know ground-up movement to counter all this stuff. And we're gonna do it, right? We're gonna do it. We all feel alone. We all feel isolated. We all feel overwhelmed. But when you come together, you realize you're not alone. You realize that the Spirit will move you. You know what I'm saying? Like God is always providing whatever God is to you, your higher power. You know, I'm saying it in terms of recovery. I'm not saying it in terms of religion. You know, but we all know when you're connected, You know, we all know when you see those coincidences that aren't coincidences. And we all know how that feels. And the basic message that comes through that, for me, is serve somebody else. This isn't about you, Noel. This is about doing your job to help somebody else out. It's not about glory, right? It felt glorious last night to, like, have a great set. I probably had the best set of my life, you know, on that stage last night. Because I was intimidated. Dana Carvey... Was the first comedian up? It was Jeff Ross, Adam Schiff, Dana Carvey. Margaret Cho came out and killed. Killed. Right? Just walked in with her dog off the street. <laughs> Handed her dog to the sound guy. Went up on stage, killed for ten minutes. Hilarious. Right? Then Jenna Friedman. Brilliant set talking about abortion issues. Real you know the kind of comedy I like—real brave, smart stuff. It was a hard for the audience. You know, it wasn't 100% what the audience was expecting because it was challenging, and that's what the best, you know, comedy does—it makes you think. So then I'm next. You know, you know Jeff Ross. You know, I have met him a few times. I worked on some of those roasts, but he doesn't know who I am as a comedian. I had to prove myself last night, and I did. But my point is, and it felt good. But it wasn't—I wasn't doing it for my ego. You know what I mean? Like when I when I meditate before these shows and when I clear out, it's about like how can I carry the message? How can I say what I want to say? You know, that's what I focus on. You know, as, as Jimmy would always say, you know, lead with love. Jimmy, who was the, you know, engineer, co-host, producer, whatever you want to call him, you know, my sidekick on here for years, wonderful dude, or for a year, wonderful guy, you know, texted me some encouragement and uh, said, lead with love. Lead with love and you'll be okay. Those are true words, you know? I was like, he's right. It's not about me. It's about you. And when you realize that, then you're truly free. Then you're truly happy. Then you can truly do things that you didn't think you could do otherwise, right? Because you let go of the results. It becomes about the process and the purity and the spirit. And people connect to that. You know, lots of people came up to me last night and enjoyed the set a lot you know, and it wasn't like, oh, which joke did you like, or whatever, you know, sometimes you wonder how stuff went, but like, it was more about the spirit, they're like, I got your message, you made me cry at the end, you made me pee my pants, that's what I want, I want to make you feel something, you know, that's how you really communicate, you let people, people remember how you make them feel, that's not original to me, that's a a sort of famous quote that somebody said, you know, that's what people remember about a performance. You remember how that guy made you feel. You know, when you go see Springsteen, you're like, oh, that E chord, the beginning of Born to Run, through the Marshall, through the Telecat. No. You think, how did I feel when he sang that and I pumped my fist in the air and there was thirty thousand other people feeling free for a moment, expressing the frustration of their lives, knowing they weren't alone, knowing there was music and art that was going to empower them. And make their burden a little lighter. You know, that's inspiration. That's what we do it for. Anyway, that's probably enough of a podcast for today. I'm going to be in Cape Cod on August 3rd, which is a week from this Wednesday. So come on out. It's going to be warm. You can tell I got a lot to say. I got a lot of laughter. I got a lot of love for you guys. I can't wait to see you. It's going to be a lot of fun. So please come out August 3rd, Music Room, Cape Cod. My buddy Ethan is joining me. Real smart guy. Went to Harvard. Funny dude. Did a lot of shows with him in New York. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him again. I think you'll enjoy him. And uh, it's going to be a good night. So August 3rd, Cape Cod Music Room. Thank you for listening. You can always find me at noelcastler.com or on Twitter. I'll keep the tweets coming. I've been traveling a lot. I'll be back in New York this week. And once again, thanks for listening. I appreciate all of you guys. I love you guys. Stay safe. Love always wins. Until next week, peace.